Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. If you're feeling intrigued about the fertility awareness method after listening to this episode, then I have a special offering to recommend for you. So I have just created a self-study course that you can do all online so you can do it at your own pace and learn the fertility awareness method fully. So in the course, there is information about the female reproductive system, how it works, the optimal cycle parameters that you are looking for when you're assessing your cycle as your fifth vital sign. We also get into good nutrition and lifestyle habits that help to support healthy hormone production. We also get into the fertility awareness method and how to track and chart each of your fertile signs. So there is tons of information in this course about tracking and charting your BBT, cervical mucus, and your cervical position. So it doesn't have to be super duper complicated, but there are a lot of things to know. And so I've really broken it down into smaller digestible pieces so that you can work through this course at your own pace and kind of build on your knowledge as you go. And then I get into specifically if you are using this primarily for conception purposes or if you are planning to use fertility awareness method tracking and charting to prevent pregnancy. And then in the end of the course, we also have, I provide you with a variety of additional resources to continue your study and learning. And there is a bonus call, a one-on-one session with me that is offered through the course as well. So that is definitely really beneficial if you, after you go through how to track and chart your cycle, then you can have your session with me to really break down your chart in particular and what I'm seeing. And I can make some recommendations about diet, lifestyle, some of the things that are maybe not specifically listed in the course um, for you in particular. So if you're interested, there is a link to sign up for that course in the show notes of this episode. You can also go to my Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness to get access to the course as well. Welcome back, everybody, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I'm here today with Hendrika, and I've forgotten your last name, Chen. Yeah. And she is a mama of six children and also a, a doula. Any other title yeah. you wanted me to use? Oh, well, you know, we're, we all wear all the hats. I've just retired from a 20-year modeling career, which is super fun and loved it, and 20-year mama career. I mean, I'm not retired yet. I'm working <laughs> on that. And... Um, you know, we just wear all the hats, everything. Totally. Cool. Well, I would love for you to start by sharing about your period story. So your first period, if you can remember that, or just early menstruating years, conversations around physical, emotional symptoms, anything that you can recall about that. Yeah. So, um, my was homeschooled at the time, which was super interesting because my mom and dad had this like super awkward one-time sex talk with me where it was like 
you're going to get a period. This is how sex happens. Don't do it. Let's never talk about this again. Wrap it up, put it away kind of situation. So my very first period, I was just 10. So I felt like I was really young and I was like, holy crap, there's blood coming out. And I realized now as an adult, I did not have a great relationship with my mom and I didn't feel comfortable telling her. So I went to my friend's house that lived like three houses down and we like raided her sister's closet and found like these pads, but they were giant. So we were like trying to cut them into smaller pieces. But I don't know if you know, you can't cut pads up, especially not, you know, 30 years ago. So it was um, like kind of like this sawdusty stuff falling out all over the place. So then we're trying to figure out. So it was kind of hilarious when I look back. But in the moment, it was a little traumatizing because it's just like, I have this thing. It's happening. I can't talk to my mom about it. My friend's trying to help me figure this out. And so it was... Um, managed a little bit after that <laughs> yeah this it's such a common story especially when women are get their period when they're really young like 10 is really young maybe yeah. more common nowadays but yeah I didn't know anybody at 10 years old that was getting their period and I know that you know I know you said you were homeschooled so they talked to you about it before you actually got your period yeah so that's helpful yeah like, at least you kind of knew what it was yeah um but yeah, it's such a common story that it is a little bit of a traumatizing experience, which is similar to what people experience with birth a lot of times Correct. too. You know, it's just like such a, along that sort of well, it's same wavelength. a theme we've seen for thousands of years of history, right? This isn't new. Mm-hmm. You, in most cultures and most of the world would go into your wedding night having no clue what's going to happen. And I'm always floored by that because I'm very much a person that I'm like, I want information. Let me be informed. And I'm sure it's shaped because of these experiences that I had growing up where I didn't get the information and I would have liked to know. And as a default now, I think as a parent, I, I don't want to say error on the side of too much information, but I try very hard to make sure my children are informed about every single thing because I don't want them to feel like dummies because that's how you feel. But like, why didn't I know this? Why didn't I tell anybody? Or why didn't they tell me? And as women to women, I just don't understand how any woman could send a woman into her wedding night and not know, not tell her, like not give her the heads up, like BT dubs, stuff like this is going to happen. And same thing with your period, like just like, oh, okay, it happened today. Cool. Do this. And you're like, wait, what? How? Why? What's happening? What's going on? So, yeah, I mean, I think so much of it is just like unconscious repetition of patterns you know of just like this is what my mom did and that's what her mom did correct you know not kind of trying to to break that cycle yeah um so yeah that's huge bummer yeah Um, and then it sounds like your friend also had not had her no yeah no um I love that you at least had her um but then what was the rest of your like early menstruating years so early like I don't remember a ton what I remember is high school and having super heavy periods in high school but also being stupid consistent meaning that every Wednesday every 24 28 days at 9 a.m I would start my period like it was the most regular thing in the entire world I was like how is this though I and you think I'd like catch on but I'd always call me on guard but like it was always a Wednesday always at a 9 a.m and I would start it and it would be uh, like, you know, just a bloodbath, like gates of hell opening, like gushing. And it was like a super tampon and a super pad. 
every hour and running between classes to try to like get it. So it was just, you know, and inevitably by the end of the day, I've gone through my pants. I'm wearing a sweatshirt tied around my waist, right? As we always do. I'm trying to just be like, get home so I can like now manage the rest of it. And I think now something that I wish that they would have done, because I was in public school now at this mm -hmm. time, has um, given us more like information, more help, more anything to be like, or for the day off. Hey, is it the first day of your period and are you bleeding yourself to death? Maybe stay home. So that was kind of like my, from, you know, starting very young, having it, and then as a teenager, and then transitioning into being sexually active when I was like late 16, almost 17. And then um, like school is super important to me as a junior, I took, I think I took 10 classes and you're required to take six. And I'm like, it was super, like I had a job and I was like crazy responsible. So I go to Planned Parenthood. I'm like, I'm having sex. I don't want to get pregnant. They're like, super cool. Here's um, orthotricycline, right? Here's birth control. You take one a day and that's how you're never going to get a baby. Hooray. Great. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, and so I start taking it. Um, I... I don't notice a lot of changes, I think, because also at the time I wasn't as aware as I am now of my period, um, but I took it for a year and maybe a couple months, and I was very consistent. Like, I know some people are like, oh, I forget all the time and blah, 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 blah. Like, I was, I had my Nokia phone with an alarm, and I was very consistent, and um, it was about a year after I was on birth control that I got pregnant. So you were, because the, this, I was so interested to talk to you about this, which we were talking just a little bit before we recorded, that I know of people that have gotten pregnant on various methods of birth control, condoms, the pill, I don't think I, oh, IUD for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that one of the things that people think about going, getting some kind of hormonal birth control is that there's absolutely no chance that they could get pregnant and these other forms, like using the fertility awareness method for birth control purposes is sort of like dangerous or like you're definitely going to get pregnant and have some sort of accident. Um, but I find it really interesting that, you know, to talk to people directly that have gotten pregnant on these other forms of birth control. But I have found that a lot of times there is a little bit of a user error, which you mm -hmm. just mentioned that, you know, like they either, and you have to take it at the same time every day, but mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how much that matters if it's just for keeping you in your routine or whatever, but have to take it every day, have to take it at the same time. And then when you have like the blank week, you don't necessarily have to take it from what I understand, mm -hmm. but it sounds like you were taking it perfectly. So Correct. user perfection method failure. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you got pregnant. Yeah. So it was like if you could be perfect at it, I mean, we're humans, so we're not, but like, I didn't miss days. I didn't miss times. Like mm -hmm. it was very, and, and then you go onto the packaging, right. And you're like, wait a second. It only says 99% effective. And you know, I'm only in high school math right now, but I can do that percentage where one out of a hundred people that's taking birth control, you know, depending on where you are in your cycle, but mm -hmm. you can, one out of a hundred people is getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not a small number. Like there's millions of people that live in this country like how many is that every single month that's getting pregnant that you had in your head like oh I'm safe 
you're not, right? So no, there's no perfect birth control. There's no safe birth control. The only birth control is perfect is abstinence, totally. right? Exactly. That's the only one that's 100% effective. Exactly. So um, when you found out you were pregnant, like how you skipped your bleed or what, how did that so, um, like, I mean, there's a lot of factors, right? I was not in a great relationship. The person I was with was pretty emotionally abusive towards me. And I got a lot of like, oh, well, like we had sex. Nobody wants you. You're trash. You're used up. You're, you know, blah, blah, blah kind of situation. So then you feel stuck with this person. My parents divorced when I was 15. I didn't have a lot of like, you know, not self-esteem, like in that idea that like, just nobody wants you. And I feel like that's a common theme for a lot of girls, which is really tragic. Like my dad wasn't around. Dads are the ones that are supposed to be like, you are wanted, you are loved. And I didn't have that. So I found some guy and he was just like, oh, you're wanted, you're loved. I'm like, I am. He's like, but only if, right. Mm -hmm. So the sex too, it was, it was not always consensual. And it was just kind of, so it was kind of, it was a terrible encounter. I'm going to say it that way. And at the end of it, I said, I literally looked at him and I said, I'm pregnant. He's like, you can't know that right now. And technically it takes time for blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But I knew that the encounter was going to result in my pregnancy. Um, and he said, but you're on the pill. And I'm like, I know, but I also know that now I'm pregnant. And, you know, four weeks later, I took a test at a gas station on uh, Moore Park Road and, <laughs> and Arbalis. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I knew it was positive before I even took it. Like it was just body intuition. And I called up my sister who's two years older than me. And she's my person. She's like for my entire life, she's my person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I met her driving to her boyfriend's house and I, we just like pulled over on the side of the road. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And she's like, Holy crap. And I'm like, I know, you know, kind of, and a girl at my high school had gotten pregnant the year before, and she had just been socially massacred by our high school. And I was a senior at the time. I had two years left, two months left. And I was like, I'm not telling a soul. Why would I tell anyone when I've seen how people treat people? And the reality is, is, you know, half my high school's having sex anyway. I'm just the one that got pregnant, even though I'm trying not to, mm -hmm. but it didn't matter. So I had, um, I told my sister and then my best friend at the time was a guy and I told him and he's like, holy crap. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. For but that you told the. No, he, so he was going to school like at Stanford at the time. So we, um. Like we weren't even in the same place. And after the encounter, I tried to break up with them again. And it was, you know, like I said, it was a rocky relationship. So it was probably two months, almost three before I told him. And I told him and he was just like, it's not my baby. You know, um, I love you so much. If you get an abortion, I'll marry you. I love you so much. If you get an abortion, I'll buy you a house. Like literally anything. And I have a lot of grace for him now. He was 19. I was 18. We were both scared. It's a hard situation. Mm -hmm. And as kids, like you really just want to make things go away. Mm -hmm. And um, like, I'm, I'm a person that is passionately anti-abortion. I know everybody's different. That's just my personal belief. I just don't believe in killing innocent people, regardless of where they are. Um, I know people think, you know, women's rights to bodies and things. And I have a lot of um, grace and compassion for anyone that has that experience or makes that choice because it's a hard one too. Um, so I don't want to say there's any judgment, but for me, for my choice, what I knew to be right for me was that this was my baby and that he wasn't going anywhere. 
<clears throat> so I told my boyfriend at the time, I was like, well, maybe we'll just give the baby up for adoption, right? To kind of like get him on board and not mm -hmm. losing his mind. Um, and so that went on for a few months before I finally was like, yeah, he's mine. He's yeah. mine. He has always been mine. I knew since I was 13 years old that I would have a boy first. I was sitting, so funny side story. I was sitting in my social studies class and I wrote out six kids' names. I had two girls and four boys and it was boy, girl, boy, 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 girl. And um, I just, I knew I was going to have four boys and two girls and I had all six of them. Fast forward, I do, uh, just not in that order. That's so cool. Isn't that funny? Yeah. But I knew, I knew it was a boy. And so before I even went in for the ultrasound, they're like, do you want to find out what you're having? And I'm like, it's a boy. Know. Yeah, it's a boy. It's a boy. <laughs> And um, that's actually, you know, it's funny people get up on stages and say, I got an abortion and that's why I was able to be successful. My story is completely the opposite. When I was about six months pregnant, my sister, she's like, dude, you're knocked up. And I was like, yeah, I know. And she's like, no, 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 like, how do we make money off of this? And I was like, that's a question. Like, and um, I'd wanted a model for a really long time. And I just, you know, you're not a teenager, I'm in high school, and unless your parents do it for you, it's not really happening, mm -hmm. but I'm 18 at the time, and so I find a modeling agency that spec is specific to maternity models, called Expecting Models, and I sent them an email, and um, I was like, hey, I'm like a model, like I model all the time, like I just model, model, model every day, like do you need maternity models, and they sent me a message back, and they were like, oh yeah, we would love to work with you, like come on, you know, send, send us your pictures, right, and this is 2003. So we're taking pictures. We're taking them to Long's drugstore, getting them developed, mailing them to her. And um, she emails me back. She's like, hey, these are great. I'm going to send them out. Hey, you should go to this casting. How far is San Francisco? And I'm like, oh, oh, I can make that. San Francisco is six hours. A casting is a go-see, which is like a tryout. Mm -hmm. I know none of this at the time. I drive six hours. I show up a building on the outside. It says The Gap. And I was like, oh, okay walk in thankfully book the job and uh, that was my very first modeling job was maternity modeling with the app and it was all because I'm pregnant you and I'm baby. 18 yeah so amazing. and that kind of like I said it landed me into a 20-year modeling career which was such a blessing and so amazing and I it's all thanks to my son it's all thanks to my pregnancy instead of you know the other way around so yeah so many times people say sort of yeah, that pregnancy or having children disrupts your life and takes away so many things from you. So yeah, that's cool that you had a different experience, very different experience. So it sounds like dad wasn't around at all. How, how was the pregnancy? Did you have support? What was it like at the, I'm assuming you were going to an OB, you know, with a young, being a young mom, yeah. probably lots of so comfortable conversations and things like that. Just talk oh, so whatever you want. Oh my gosh, about. so many funny conversations. So I tell my mom, like, I think I'm like six, six months old. I don't tell anybody. Like, I really don't tell anybody. And I think I'm about six months along. And finally I tell my mom. And um she and I, like, we did not, we we still like it's just it's a hard relationship. They're a different generation. We're the generation where we're trying to break all this like past generational trauma for years and years and years. And so it was, it was difficult to tell her, um, but I will give her so much gratitude in this because she said, okay, what's your plan? Mm -hmm. Not how dare you, you slut. Why are you doing this to me? Like all the things that people hear, like I always say, I'm not the poster child for teen pregnancy because my experience was, was actually a really beautiful one. 
Um, and I said to my mom, like, well, if it's okay, I'd like to go to school. I'd like to live here. Like, I'd like to have a baby. Like if, if that's, and she's like, okay. Like, and that was like, and it was very non-issue. And then she's like, well, you have to tell your dad. We were planning this road trip to Oregon at the time. So we take the entire road trip and I'm supposed to tell him at any point on this trip. I don't. <laughs> it's hard to do in person. We get all the way back to California. He drives all the way back to LA where his house is. And I call him like an hour and a half later thinking he's home. He picks up. I was like, dad, I'm pregnant. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so, and baby's dad is, um, he's at school. So I'm living in Southern California. He's in Central California going to school and uh, we're together and not together. We're broken up and back together and just a, a rocky, awful teenage relationship that we're in. And so by the time baby is ready to come, I'm like, you know, do you want me to call you? Like, what's the situation? He's like, yeah, no, it's not my baby. I'm not coming. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was really hard at the time. But after I had my son, it was so empowering because it, it really, it took me a few more years to leave that relationship, but that was kind of the, the start, the seed to know, like, I can, I can do hard things and you chose not to be here. And I did this without you. Like I did this whole thing without you. And if I can do this without you, like I really can do life without you. So it was, it was just, I mean, it was a pretty average birth for the time I had an OB and it's like older guy, which when it's funny, it's like, I'm on Medicaid, right? So it's just like, here's your Medicaid plan. Here's the people covered under it. Here's your, here, go to this person. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he was nice. Like he was a little grandfatherly. It wasn't like, and it was fine, but there was no information. There was no childbirth education. Like I went to a few childbirth education classes at Los Robles. And like I said, this is 20 years ago. So it was pretty rudimentary mm -hmm. compared to what I know now. And um, so it was like, I go into labor I, um, I just stayed busy all that day. Like I had seven brothers and sisters too. So it was like running people to basketball games and, you know, taking pictures. And it's like, oh, maybe we should go to the grocery store and grab some baby diapers if we're, you know, could have a baby today or whatever. And so we ended up in the hospital in the evening and my labor was 26 hours. I did 22 and I was just like, well, when is it over? Like I'm the type of person, if you say, hey, do 50 squats and then you're done, I'll do 50 squats. But if you say, hey, do squats till exhaustion, I'm at like 10. I'm like, oh, I can't do another one. So not having that, like, how long are we going? So I did 22 hours and then I got an epidural. And um, as I'm pushing him out, the OB gives me an episiotomy. And that's tragic for me because every single one of my subsequent births, I've torn along the episiotomy. But I didn't know at the time, he just was like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. And everyone's like, well, okay, right? Like, again, no information. Hey, here are the risks. Here are the benefits. This is why I'm doing it. Here's some other options as to what we could do instead of this thing. Nothing. Um, so that's kind of, that's something that sticks out to me from that birth and just feeling like a truck hit me because it's a lot. Um, and it was my first, you know, your first experience. And I realize now in hindsight too, the epidural for me was pretty traumatic in that most people can move again, I was dead. Like both with my first and second, I couldn't walk for two weeks. And that's not normal for coming out of an epidural. Do you think that was because you were so young or? I think a few things, I'm tall. Yeah. And so like the metrics that they use to give you is based on your height and your weight. Mm -hmm. um, and also I do like zero other medication. I'm pretty natural and everything else. So I don't like, I don't drink alcohol. I don't take any medication, any drugs, anything like that. 
And so they assume that there's some level of substance within everybody because most people do use, you know, just other things. And Mm -hmm. so it just, it wiped me out, I think was for mine. So, um, but gosh, you hold this baby and you're just like, holy crap, like, look at what I just did. And, um, he's 20 now and he's this amazing guy and he's stupid smart. He's been to two, um, summers at Harvard summer school for high school students and which he took a multivariable calculus. And I was like, gosh, like the world, I feel like the world needs to thank me for not getting rid of this baby because when he goes in, cures cancer, I know there's a million types of cancer, but you know, when he does something amazing with his life, it's just you know, he's such a blessing and I'm so thankful for him, like daily thankful for him because he's a great example to his siblings, amazing example to me. And they don't tell you this, that you get to like raise your friends. I think we talked about this the last time. Yeah. You just make to make this person and all of these beautiful memories. And then they end up as an adult where you get to like hang out. Like he calls me like raw and fool. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Joshua, (laughs) but it's amazing. You know, Was there a, a, like a strong religious, um, sort of culture in your home? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I just, the only, the reason that popped into my head is because of the homeschool, that mm-hmm. was part of what I was thinking about. Um, and then also just having larger families seems to kind of, I just wondered what, yeah, any, so anything you want to share about that? Like if there's yeah. some sort of perspective around that. Yeah, so I grew up um, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They mm-hmm. also call it the Mormon Church or the LDS Church, but the full name is the Church of Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. it's a Christian denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up that way. And then I say I converted when I was 21. So like, that's how I grew up. I was baptized when I was eight, but I chose it for myself and for my family and for my life when I was um, 21. Um, growing up that way was a very strict upbringing. Um, but also at the time, again, a very huge lack of information. This is why, this is what we're doing. Oh, okay. Well, why are we doing it? Well, because we said so, because tradition, because this is how it's always happened. Don't ask questions. Mm-hmm. Kind of. And not that my parents were like mean or anyone at church was mean about it, but that was definitely like the underlying current was like, well, we just, we're just good. Like faith. Oh, have faith. Just have faith. Oh, oh, okay. Like that we can't question or under like have a desire to understand things. Um, but I will say that even that was a really beautiful experience. So like, you know, in my religion, you're not supposed to engage in sexual activity before you're married. Right. That was actually part of my question was yeah. that there are, so within the fertility awareness method, there natural family planning is, is a fertility awareness based mm-hmm. method which has more of a religious basis Mm -hmm. from what I understand. My knowledge of natural family planning is somewhat limited. I've talked about it previously, but a lot of people will not go on birth control because of of that, like Mm -hmm. premarital sex being not. So anyway, it just made me curious about your experience. And like, was that, were you kind of going against that culture? And, but it, it took you a, a little bit longer to embrace it, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. totally rebelled in my teen years. Like, would go to church, like, would go to fun dances, go to activities and stuff like that, but also have sex with my boyfriend kind mm-hmm. of situation. So it was it was definitely confusing at the time. There's a whole lot of guilt associated with it. 
when I look back, it's more the guilt that I have in and with myself that I wasn't stronger to say no in situations where I wanted to say no. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had the power to say no. Um, and when I did say no, I was ignored. So like, and without blaming people, right? Like everyone's just, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, boyfriend at the time, it's, you know, he's, he's just a one dog, right? They're just trying to get it. And mm-hmm. so it's, I didn't, it was a hard, it was a hard thing to walk through trying to balance. Cause I, I've always had strong religious convictions, but I've also like wanted to like have a balance between the two. And I don't know that I did a great job, but I do think looking back now that, um, there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's so much peace. So it, it is what it is where I am not now, like in my like religious places is, is, is very much the same place. Like I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I need God. And, and it's no different. It's mm-hmm. no different. I think it's just where you are at your life and understanding that, you know, I don't need guilt. Guilt is, is from the devil. Like yeah. if guilt brings you to God, great. But besides that, it's just a tool to use to bring you down and we don't need that. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully that wasn't too much of a tangent. No, it's, not at all. it's just interesting to me personally. So yeah. Um, so I'd love to transition into your second pregnancy. And I, I'm not sure exactly of, you know, you said you ended that relationship. So I'm not sure how yeah, how yeah. the rest of the story unfolds. So yeah, just share. Yeah. So my oldest was about two when his dad and I finally broke up forever. <laughs> And then um, it was like six months later that I met my now ex-husband um, and we dated for a few months and got married really fast, like really fast. And in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, this is love. This is the real thing. And what really I was experiencing was um, a narcissist love bombing. And so it was, everything was perfect and everything was amazing. And then every once in a while, someone would be a little weird. And he would be totally off and it wouldn't make any sense to me. But statistically, or per, if we were using percentages, if somebody's 99% one way and 1% another way, you would assume that they're going to be 99% the first way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got married really fast, meaning that I met him in August on the computer on a dating website. And again, this is like 2005. So this is no, this is like pre, you know, um, dating apps yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um we met in person in October. He was living in New Jersey and I was living in California at the time. And then we, um, I flew back out in November, spent Thanksgiving with his family. We got in the car day after Thanksgiving, drove to California, got to California December 1st, got engaged two weeks later. And we were married by December 30th, the new year. Wow. Yeah. That is us. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. My sister pulls me into a room like a week before I'm getting married and she's like, don't do this and I'm just like oh my gosh you don't even know I'm so in love this is so amazing he's so wonderful and she's like please don't do this and I'm like oh my gosh it'll be fine like you're just being silly or whatever did she say any reason why it's too fast you don't know him well enough like it's not right like you you just you're being swept away with your emotions instead of thinking rationally all of the things that she was correct about yeah and you better believe at my divorce party I told her I should have listened to you, but I don't know. I got, you get all these great kids and experience out of it. So it's hard to be mad. Yeah. She wasn't wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we got married and, um, because I'd already had a child, we didn't want a big gap Mm -hmm. between them. And I, one of the biggest, 
themes I had with my oldest was I don't want him to feel left out. I don't want him to feel pushed out of a family. I want him to always be ours. So one of the things I got in my custody agreement with his dad actually was that his last name would be the same as mine married last name. Mm -hmm. So he actually has my ex-husband's last name. And I was just like, no, we're always going to be this family. This is going to be us. And so um, we tried right away to get pregnant and it took over a year. And I was floored because I was like, I can get pregnant on accident on birth control. How is it that I know my timing? I know when I'm ovulating. We're making sure to be doing it, you know, during then or whatever. And so I'm like, oh, I guess like maybe it's my husband. So he, um, the doctor's like, okay, you need to get tested, take this cup home, make your admission, bring it in. Um, so it's January, like super, or December, and it's like four degrees outside because we're on the East Coast, right? We moved to New Jersey at some point in this. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes in the bathroom in the morning, makes his admission throws it in the seat in the car, drives to the, um, his doctor's office, drops it off and, um, comes back. And a week later we get the news that there's zero motility in his sperm. And we are just like, oh my gosh, like we probably won't have kids essentially is what the situation is looking like. And then, um, then someone else takes a look at it and says, no, no, um, it was four degrees and you threw it on the seat they froze (laughs) that's why they're not moving and then a month later we found out we were pregnant so but it took a year what that is so interesting you didn't tell me that before that's hilarious it's I it's so important for people to not just go with like my doctor said this like think about all of the variables and things that are I mean I just could tell so many stories about related more to women's health that's more of my jam but of just like these like basic simple things yeah. that are missed and you create this like mountain of concern Correct. based on nothing. Yeah. So so you not getting pregnant for a year. It just was what it just was. Just random. Yeah. Okay. And then how did you identify? So it was the doctor at that same clinic or did you have to go somewhere else? It was the same clinic, Okay, but somebody else looked at it. Okay. And so I don't know if it was like a student read it first and then the doctor or whatever. Okay. I don't know how that happened, yeah. but it was like pretty much you're not having kids to, oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. And it's so, you're right. It's human error, right? Because we're just humans. And how are you know that they're going to freeze in the, in the okay. car seat on the way there? Because it's. Yeah. yeah. People don't think about Like, why would you, I, that didn't occur to me when you were saying. Yeah, four degree, and I was just kind of like, like I don't know why this is an important part of this. Yeah, story. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so that's that's just really fascinating. So anyway, yeah. then you got pregnant. So I get pregnant with my second, and um, very early on, again, like I intuition's crazy. I'm just like, oh, it's another boy. Like it's you know, and so he's gonna have a brother. We find out at the 20 week appointments a boy, and this actually the one thing that always stands out to me in this. So at my 20 week fetal scan, talking about false positives, they are like his neck thickness is measuring too thick mm. and what that means is that his chances of having down syndrome go from one in like whatever you know fifty thousand or whatever to like one in six thousand so what we need to do is an amniocentesis so we can check to make sure that he's not going to have down syndrome and i was just like oh uh yeah giant needle going through my belly into my baby like okay i'm, I'm good and they're like oh well but your baby could have down syndrome well i'm kind of fine with that I had to talk to two different doctor, a doctor and a therapist that were telling me why I needed to abort my pregnancy because the neck thickness meant that he might have Down syndrome. 
And I'm like, I don't think you understand what I'm saying, which is he could have Down syndrome. He could have trisomy 18. He could have anything. I'm continuing the pregnancy. Thank you very much. Surprise, surprise. My son does not have Down syndrome. And even if he did, what a wonderful addition and beautiful thing to add to my family. But the idea that there was so much pressure based on false information, that's kind of the thing that like stands out to me in this pregnancy. And it was that's so I, it's so it's so fascinating how much faith people put into doctors. But there's been a lot of people that I've had on the podcast that have a similar experience to you of just like being met with something that a medical provider is saying to them and they're just like mm-hmm sit right with me like I think I'm gonna go a different way yeah and yeah like that you feel like I remember when I was pregnant just feeling like oh they're doing all these things to like make sure that everything's okay and there were some things throughout my pregnancy that they you know had concerns about or whatever and I was able to just kind of but it created so much unnecessary anxiety in me that it's just kind of like at what cost are you doing all of these, which really they're interventions, mm-hmm. what they're just looking at things because they're looking, I remember my midwives saying they're like looking for something to be wrong so yeah. that they can do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and I don't know that it's conscious for doctors necessarily. I don't think that they're like, I'm looking for shit just so I can do something no. and feel like a hero. I think it's just the way that they're trained and, and yeah. it's not so conscious, but that you know, there's, I've listened to tons of podcasts about pregnancy and birth and all these things. And there, it's such a common experience for a pregnant woman to be told that something could potentially be wrong with their child and to abort the child because of that. It's just like, can you see outside of that? Like something could be wrong and that maybe a mother could continue to love this baby regardless of something being, you know, wrong quote unquote well and to your point trying to like make more things happen I was like hold on my chances of miscarrying from an amniocentesis are higher than my chances of even having a baby with downs like you're trying to create problems again whether or not they know maybe some people do it on purpose but I do believe the vast majority of medical professionals are doing their very best Mm -hmm. it's just the way they're trained it's the books that they read it's the schooling that they get it's like let's Let's find the problem and fix it. Well, mm-hmm. what if there's no problem? Well, then they feel useless. So they have nothing to do. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that I just appreciate you sharing that. So anything else you wanted to share about that second pregnancy? Well, Sorry. one thing that was cool for me growing up. So my mom had four kids in the hospital and then she had four kids at home. Um, my youngest three siblings, I all watched their births, mm-hmm. which was really special to me. Um, and so one of the things, again, like I said, the theme I wanted for my second pregnancy was for my first son to not feel pushed out. And so he was a part of everything. He was a part of every single appointment, every single ultrasound, every single, even like the, um, the baby shower, it was like him themed, like you're going to be a big brother kind of thing to just really try to hone in that, like you are still a part of it. And I was like, I, can't like leave him out of the finale right like the crowning the the you know the climax Mm -hmm. and so I found a friend of mine that I had gone to church with and she had six kids and she was a doctor and so I was just like will you come and be with him so that he can watch his brother be born she's like of course 
and we're in there and she's this amazing she's just like look this this is an IV it's how mommy gets a drink because if she drinks it through her mouth she might throw up so they put it in her arm and like just explaining everything to him and I his labor was about 21 hours and I did I was like 18 before I was like you know what I want an epidural because I don't want to be a hysterical screaming mess with my son here I, I want this to be a beautiful experience for him mm -hmm. So you have the epidural again, and, and, and actually that was also a teaching hospital. So I've got like me, my husband, my son, his, you know, my friend, my husband's mother, the doctor, a couple nurses and a whole line of medical students. Like, this is like how I'm giving birth. Oh my God. I <laughs> Welcome to the world. Like it was an entire audience. And, um, thankfully it was fine. It was, again, I tore along the episiotomy, but like the birth was pretty uneventful, but the healing, it took two weeks to walk and we had stairs at the time. And the only time that I went up and down the stairs in that first two weeks was to take my son to his first pediatrician appointment. And I just couldn't. And it was, healing was really hard. Like it was really, really hard. Um, but then fast forward, I'm pregnant with my third. I'm again on birth control. Wow. I have two from birth control. I don't think I told you that. And um, I, uh, I'm i feeling- Was awesome. it like a low dose of birth control? No. So I was okay. on the low dose with my, yeah. like, so after I have my second son, they give me the low dose birth control. I'm on it for a year. I stopped nursing him. They bumped me back up to the ortho tricycline. Mm -hmm. I tell them I got pregnant on this before. I really don't want it. And they're like, oh, that was a one in a million chance. Like this is not going to happen again. That's September, fast forward to March and I'm pregnant. And it's this, it's 2009 and I call it the worst year of my life. It was until very recently, <laughs> but it was my ex-husband got uh, laid off from his job. He got a staph infection in his knee and he was in the hospital and they sent him home with a pick line with antibiotics in his chest for a month. Like oh he God. couldn't walk. My, um, my father-in-law passed away. Then his step, like my husband's stepfather passed away within six weeks of each other. We're losing our house because we can't pay for it because he's not working. I'm trying to babysit, but I'm also pregnant and I have two other kids. So I'm doing as much as I can. Uh, we ended up moving in with my mother-in-law. She's extremely toxic and manipulative as well. So that was like super tragic. I'm in court custody battles with my oldest son in California and, um, he was trying to get custody of them after. So just, um, he, it's super, super sweet. So he went to school uh, pre-med and then once he and I broke up and we started to do court stuff, he was super interested. So he went to law school and became an attorney. So he could just take me to court for anything. So she didn't set it. This one was, I didn't set up the webcam by the time that they wanted me to. It was a week after because I was waiting for someone to help me and blah, 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 blah. And I'm also pregnant and my husband's in the hospital and, you know, just the life things. So he takes me to court because I did not um, set up the webcam. And they were sitting there and, and I'm, I clearly, like, I'm like seven, six, seven months pregnant. And they're like, just so you know, if we find you guilty of this, you will go to jail. You have jail time associated with this. And they look at my, you know, my son's dad. They're like, are you okay with that? He's like, yep, let's go. And so it was, it was a very hard year. Thankfully they didn't, I didn't go to jail, but just the trauma of your mama heart. I'm like, oh I have two God. small children at home. I'm pregnant with another one. And they're threatening to send you to jail. It's scary. Um, and then the worst part was that they got rid of my cats because my mother-in-law had these dogs that just chased them around and oh. it was just, it was so awful. And so at this whole year though, I'm holding on to this baby. I'm holding on to this life. And it was set like his middle name is Kukukoa. It's Hawaiian and it means my strength because throughout that whole year, like he was, he was what I held on to. I remember just sobbing in the corner and holding on to my valley and thinking, 
the only reason I'm still here is because of you. I have to be here for you. And he like, he really did pull me through. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing was, I really wanted a natural labor. I had watched my sister have my oldest nephew and um, she did it without any medical intervention at all. She was, she's a rock star. And afterwards, she's just like up and like mm -hmm. putting on and doing stuff. She's like, I don't know, I just feel like I need to move. I'm like, what? for weeks, how are you feeling? And she's like, you know, now we know she's natural hormones. Yeah. So I really wanted a natural birth, but also I was really scared. I don't. I was just like, I know how much it has hurt. Like, how much more does it hurt? And when does it end? Like those those open ended questions, I was really having a hard time with. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I know I manifested this. But in my head, I said, I'm at the beach, and we can't get back in time. And I have my natural birth. And it's silly because he was due at the end of November, and we're not going to the beach in November on the East Coast. But that is that is like how I manifested him. And that birth, like um, all of my labors, I really did by myself. I kind of like, you know, I, I would go inward. And so I like, I'm in labor with him. He's a week late. Also, all my kids are late. <laughs> so anyone that's like, oh, all like Joshua, my oldest, he was seven days late. Lucius was five days. Darius was seven days. Like we were supposed to be induced at 10 in the morning and I had him at 747. Like, and uh, so I like, I'm starting labor. I go watch all my Grace Anatomy shows. I take a shower. I do my hair. I put my makeup on. I'm just kind of like putzing around, like going through my labor. And once it's like big enough, I'm like, okay. So we drive down to the hospital and they're like, do you want an epidural? And I feel like a complete failure. And I'm just like, yeah, I do. And uh, so I signed my life away. Like I can die. You can do anything. Just give me my epidural. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're like, okay. And then they're like, oh, the anesthesiologist is called, called an emergency surgery, but it's totally fine. They'll be back. Go get you your epidural. Great. Okay. So I'm laying there and I'm kind of going to this like trance where I'm just breathing and feeling it because I'm not worried. I'm not worried about anything. The epidural's coming. Yeah, everything's fine. And um, the anesthesiologist comes back in. She lays out her table. She puts her gloves on. She's like, all right, we're ready to go. And so I like get up and I lean over so, you know, they can get, you know, to my spine and I feel a contraction start. I'm like, hold on just a second. Like, I just don't want to move while you have this drug needle in my back. And it climbs and it climbs and it peaks, but then it keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. And I'm like, when is this contraction going to stop? And finally I stand up and I'm like, whoa. whoa. And uh, they're like, oh, we haven't checked you in a while. We should probably check you. And I was like, oh, oh. like get that epidural in. Like we're not checking anything. And so it's funny. I'm like fighting the nurse and she's trying to push me down on the bed. And I'm like, no, because, you know, you're a little crazy at this time. Mm -hmm. So she finally gets me down and she rips my legs open and she goes, oh, I see a head in dark hair. And I'm like, but also, yay. Yes. Like it was such a like, and she's like running to the door to go get the doctor. And I'm like, oh, well, she him out. He's like born on the table and she like picks him up and we're like, oh, it's like, put the baby nowhere. And I, it was, I was shaking. People talk about this, like mm -hmm. such bad shakes. Like I was just like, someone pushed the baby back up on me. It's falling. Like, and, but like, after we get through all that, I, I have this rush of all of this, so much love and so much, like all these things I didn't have before. It was just like, oh, here's a baby. Okay. And it was like, so intense like it was oh and to the point where I could not let him out of the room you're like well we want to go take him no like I was like no 
he's not going anywhere with you. And like, even when I like, like I stood up, walked to the bathroom, which is first, never did that. And even in the bathroom, I had to have the door open so I could like see him. But we were like tethered with like steel cords. Like he and I were just like, boom. And I was like, probably one of the best like hospital experiences I had. I was just so in love and I was so happy. I was on cloud nine and I could do it. Like, it is amazing. And I just want to, yeah. I mean, I can feel that because I've had that experience too, but I've never had any other experience. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know exactly what it's like to have an epidural. And I, I think a few things, a lot of people are very disconnected from their emotions and their body and all of these, that's sort of just what our culture breeds. And I have that experience in certain ways too, but the epidural is sort of looked at as this really benign thing it's just like oh it's just a painkiller mm-hmm. you know like who cares mm-hmm. you're just getting a painkiller but you had a completely different emotional physiological response because you didn't correct that yeah so I just I love that you're sharing these two different experiences because it's I mean maybe it's more common than I'm aware of but I haven't had a ton of people on the podcast yet that have had both the epidural experience and then not oh, having had an epidural um you know so yeah. it's interesting that you have both of those yeah so. totally well and what's funny is we'll get there but like at like my sixth baby is when I finally realized what had happened because I had epidurals with the first two and then the next three I did not and I had this glowy amazing experience and with my six, I had kidney stones. So I had to go back to an epidural mm. and I did not like my daughter for the first probably 24 to 36 hours that she was alive. And I knew that I was supposed to like her and I knew that I was supposed to love her. And I knew that I was getting robbed of these feelings and connections and experience with her. And I love her. Of course, I love her. And she's amazing now. But it wasn't until I had had it taken away from me that I realized how much I missed with my first two mm. and how much like I <clears throat> definitely grieved my sixth the delivery because of that like that I missed out on that with her that I missed out on that connection with her and you know it it was I do feel robbed like for sure I feel robbed because of that yeah yeah but it's not something people talk about like no. at all really not at all it is just kind of like I, I was watching some, I can't even remember where I saw it exactly, but it was something about these like women talking about like, why would you want to be a hero and like go through natural yeah. birth? Have you seen this? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just like, I mean, I don't even exactly know how I would communicate to somebody like that, what the experience is, because it is something that you kind of have to feel inside of your mm-hmm. body. Like the you know, the not wanting your baby to be away from you. I still feel that way with mm-hmm. my daughter. Like I, anytime she's away with, from me, it just feels like wrong. And when yeah. people talk about their baby needing to go to the NICU, like obviously there are situations where that's necessary. And if it's in the baby's best interest, yeah, then, you know, well, of course, but I just can't imagine after yeah. having a physiological birth and having this, it's a biological like animalistic, I need to protect my baby, like get away from my baby. Yeah, sort of feeling like I (laughs) I just can't imagine being like, okay, do what you have to do, sort of. Oh, it it breaks my heart to think, oh, oh, our baby was in the NICU for nine days. Oh, our baby, I'm like, 
Like how, how do you, how? sometimes months even. I know. Oh, it breaks my heart yeah. and just, gosh, I, you know, it's such a hard thing. But even like, so when, um, when I brought him home, like my third son, when I brought him home, my mother-in-law would try to take him in her room and shut the door. And I was like, nope, <laughs> no, hard no. And it was probably, I want to say it was almost four weeks after he was born. I had to go fax something for court. And so I had to leave. And I was just going to take him with me. Um, but my mother-in-law was like, just leave him here. He's sleeping. Like you can go all your, and we just come right back. And I was like, okay, fine. And I don't, again, I, I can only explain it. I felt as I got in the car and drove away, something stretching and stretching and stretching. And when I got to the end of the street, I felt it snap. Mm. And I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to make it a real thing. I don't know how to say like, but I know that my connection with him was whether it, I, I want to say like a spiritual tangible, it was so real. And, and I felt it when it finally did break. Mm. Yeah. Kind of crazy. It's, I mean, I completely, I know the feeling. Yeah. I can really relate. So then fourth pregnancy. So and this is so funny because this is the one I want to get to. This one was my favorite. This was my absolute favorite. So I'm pregnant with my fourth. Um, I have a feeling it's a boy because I have three boys already really hoping for that girl. I have a feeling it's a boy. We go to the 20 week ultrasound and my then husband at the time, he wants to find out. And I say, okay, you can find out on one condition that you don't tell me. You want to guess how long he lasted? A day. Less than a week. Wow. Less than a week. Yeah. And so I found out, I, I knew I was having a boy. I still had a little hope for a girl, but it was just, it was like, all right, well, just, I'm a boy mom, just kind of owning it. And so with him, like we had this brand new hospital just built and they were like, you know, they are saying how great their maternity suites are. And they have this huge soaking tub. You can't have your baby in it, but you can labor in it. And I'm like, yes. And I have all the confidence in the world because I know I can have a natural birth. I know I can do this. So going in was so easy. It was like, oh like, and so like I go in, I have Medicaid at the time still. So I have a midwife, but it's not the one that I've met with because it's a big practice. It's just whoever shows up the day. And she was great. She is fantastic. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the nemesis of the day was the hospital nurse. So I know they have this brand new hospital. I researched this hospital and I make sure that they don't require IVs because at that time, it's 2013, a lot of hospitals, if you're admitted, you're required to get an IV. And so I made sure that that was not their policy. And I spoke to someone on the phone verifying that it was not. So I go in and I talk to the midwife and I'm getting all set up and everything's happening. And the nurse comes in, she comes in with like, you know, the thing and the IV and needles. And I was like, oh, I don't need an IV. I'm planning a natural birth. She's like, oh, sweetie, it's hospital policy. Everybody that gets admitted gets one. And I was like, that's <laughs> <laughs> not true. I didn't say that though. I said, oh, that's interesting. Cause when they called, they said that that was not your policy. And she got all like puffy and like left. And uh, this was the, and I think I was saying earlier, this was the pregnancy when I learned to advocate for myself. So I, um, I'm laboring naturally and I'm just breathing through my contractions. I'm not a hysterical mess, like nothing like that. And this nurse comes back in and she says, oh, your midwife words some posting because you're not progressing fast enough. Excuse me? Like what kind of sadistic person gives a person in labor, choosing a natural labor, Pitocin? Without asking, and my midwife did not order that. Like, she's just lying straight to my face. And sometimes, I mean, 
already that shitty, but sometimes they even put, well, if you had the mm-hmm. IV, they could just like put it in there and yeah. not even tell you. Exactly. And that's yeah. why I think she wanted the IV, right? Because yeah. then they're in control, whereas they're not in control. And so um, I was just like, oh, um, I think I need to talk to my midwife about this because that wasn't the plan. And she's like, oh, well, then never mind, right? Well, because you can't go tell the midwife because she knows that she didn't order this and you're doing it. And I don't think for patients, but so already I'm just like, I'm trying to have a baby, but also I've got this person over here. And so, and then it's hard too. You're naked, you're vulnerable. Like you're trying to like labor and this person that's supposed to be taking care of you is now like trying to like counter take care mm-hmm. of you. So I go in the tub and that is my first experience in water. And oh my gosh, like, I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me? It cuts the pain in half. I don't know how, I don't know how it cuts the pain in half. And I definitely got into like a meditative trance while I was in there to the point where I almost stopped my labor because I was so relaxed. My body was like, oh, well, maybe we don't need to do that. <laughs> now this, I will say, this is my only birth that he was early. He was eight days early. All of my, my other kids were late. And um, so I do think I could have stopped my labor, gone home and had him another day. But I was like, nope, we're already here. So I like sat up and I like started like, breathing and I was just like, we're gonna get this you know and so like I I again I I was able to use my mind to help pursue like push into and so you know and then the nurse is coming in oh we need to check the baby's heart rate and blah, blah, you know all the things that they need to do and thankfully like my midwife she was like she was so wonderful she was just like well I'm pretty sure the heart rate monitor can go in the water like why don't we just check it here mm-hmm. all these things that you're like gosh hmm like you're forcing your agenda on me Thankfully, between me and my midwife, we could, you know, work around her. But finally, they're like, okay, it's been this long. You have to blah, 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 blah. So I, like, get up out of the tub. And as I'm walking to the room, I start transition. And I know, like, and I could tell because, like, before, it's like, like, breathing deep, like, getting in there. And then um, I'd read the book before this one, Ida McGaskin, A Guide to Childbirth. Mm -hmm. And she talks about mooing. And I had a friend that we were due the same day. She had her baby a couple days before me. And she's like, oh, I'm mood. I'm mood and I'm mood. And I was like, that's a little weird for me. I don't know if I can move. But I did get into my head like a, like I thought about being a monk and like the home mm-hmm. like that low. And so I was able to go to that low place. And so that's how I knew I was in, tra- in uh, transition because I was like, oh like just dropping like as low as I could go yeah and we get into the room and um so the bag of water was pushed in front of his head so while I was dilated to a 10 there was no head engagement so um my midwife was like I think if I break your water like your water's out I see the bulge bulging out I think if I just break it a little like he'll probably come out and I was like okay sounds good to me so she breaks my water water and it's like I call it like a roller coaster. You have like hover at the top for a minute and then you start to go down and then it's like, <laughs> that was him tunneling out of my body. Just like, <laughs> so he just like came right out. And it, again, just the flooding of the emotions. Everything is wonderful. Everything's beautiful. There can be no wrong in the world. And then the nurse comes back. She goes, well, your uterus can't shrink up on its own. We need to give you contraception. Like that's so weird. Is this it? lady? Does she? What is her obsession with? I, I don't know. I don't know. 
But I was like, is it saying a medical book that your uterus only shrinks up three times and then the fourth one, it won't shrink up again? Because so far there's ladies out there with like 20 kids, like a million years, there's thousands of years ago. And for some reason, super weird, but their uterus is just totally shrunk up on their own. Like, why would this one not shrink up on its own? And so my midwife, always the diplomat, she's like, well, let's see how she does. And if we're feeling that her uterus isn't shrinking, then we can talk about the person. All these things that nobody would say if this was my first birth and I didn't know to advocate for myself, right? Or if I didn't have a midwife that was willing to advocate for me. If I had no B, they would have like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's intervene, intervene, intervene. And so that's why, it, like I would say, it's my favorite birth and also the one it, where I really came into my own to advocate for myself and for other women and to teach other women. You don't have to do, no one says that. My brother, when he and his wife were having their first baby, I said, if I, there's one piece of advice I could give you, it is this. There's nothing you have to do immediately. You always have time to talk about it, think about it, pray about it, or you know, meditate about it, whatever your version is, to connect with the universe and see if this is right for you. Even if they're like, oh, baby's heartbeat's tanking, we have to go, you know, like we see in all the medical shows. You have 30 seconds, you have 60 seconds to be with your partner and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Does it feel right? And to go to that place. Um, because I feel like, again, like the medical mentality is like, oh, 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 oh. And it's like, no, we're stopping. We're stopping. We're slowing down. And we're going to talk about this thing. And we're not getting rushed into anything. But again, nobody tells you that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your midwife kind of knew. Was she, she worked at that? Yeah. Hospital? Yeah. So she had a relationship she, with that. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to know how to say things to people. Even my fertility awareness method teacher, she'll talk about like the ways to talk to doctors about things. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you are, you know, really smart mm -hmm. and you know so many things. And then like ask your question from there. Yeah. And it annoys me a little bit that you have to like boost up their yeah. ego yeah. before you can like say what you really think. But I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's like whatever gets you to your Correct. goal. Like if you're using this medical system, then there are, you know, unfortunately. I'm happy to stroke your ego if you get me the information. Totally. Yeah. No, yeah, it's totally. Funny. No, it's so funny to think that we have to. But I mean, that's also like, um, it's so silly. I, I talk about this all the time. My brother sent me this master class on hostage negotiation. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. But really, in any type of communication, your goal should always be resolution, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, what am I trying to get out of this? So if I have to stroke your, you know, your medical ego for a minute to get what I need, then fine, I don't yeah. care. But that we're always in any conversations, the goal is resolution. If that's your goal, if your goal is fighting, then don't worry about and it. That's your goal, <laughs> yeah. But that you can still try. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think also you've been so great about saying like that you can have compassion for people and their experience exactly. that yeah, yeah trying to hold space for they're not necessarily trying to do things exactly that because they're trying to be mean or hurt you or overpower you or whatever sometimes yeah. maybe some people are but maybe they're also just coming from a space of like, this is what they were taught and it's the only thing that they know. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I definitely believe the nefarious person is the exception. Yeah. The rule is that like, they believe do no harm. They believe they they're trying, they're just trying, but they're trying with what they know mm -hmm. and nobody taught them another way. And as 
like uh, as women, it's not like, it's not our job to teach doctors, right? So it's like, how do we change this from the top down rather than the bottom up? It's not coming from the bottom up unless we make a transition more into home birth and only 1%, right? Of babies are doing home birth right now, of women are choosing home birth. But if we can increase that number, then I think we're also increasing awareness. Absolutely. Yeah, that is a, a huge passion of mine. Why I started the podcast with my own home birth and just how much I learned from that experience and even yeah. things that I would do differently now that I did during that pregnancy that, that yeah. through what I've learned would do differently now and just kind of helping women to see like even something like an IV or an epidural yeah. like it's not any one of these things being on birth control like all of these things are not just the benign medication even even like taking Tylenol, you know, like yeah. these, these things that we just do without even thinking about yeah. it are not as um, healthy and natural or, you know, just kind of part of what it means to be a human. Well, there's a side effect to everything. Exactly. Right? And there, you know, there's all these warning labels all over essential oils. Be careful. There's side effects, right? Mm -hmm. On herbs. So the idea that not approved by the FDA, yeah, something <laughs> synthetics created and we're like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't want to get on too much of a tangent. I just want to oh. be mindful of your time. Yeah. I so, feel like this um, might be a two-parter. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, do you feel, tell me how you feel about that. Like, should we, um, maybe save the other two births for another episode yeah, or yeah. my fifth in and of itself could be a, her own episode. Okay. <laughs> why don't we do that? So why don't you share now any like last things that you want to share in terms of like what we've already talked about? If not, then we can transition into sharing about your business and the work that you do in world now. Um, I guess if I just could like sum up my experience or give it at, at least up to this point, it's that like, the only person you have to count on is yourself. You have to be informed. You have to choose to educate yourself. And if you don't, then you're going to fall prey to this. What is it? The cascade of intervention or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're pregnant, if, if you're thinking about getting pregnant, like reach out to childbirth educators, reach out to doulas, reach out to fertility specialists. Like all of us have a lot of good information. Um, and that I think from everyone that I've met so far, we're really good at teaching it in a way that women need to hear. I always joke, I learned to drive stick in about four seconds from my sister. I had been, people, men had attempted to teach me to drive stick several times before. Women need to hear women information from women. I love that men are obese. I love that men are midwives. I think that's beautiful. But if you need to hear something from someone's experience, the only way you're going to hear it is from experience. And I'm not saying that women that haven't had kids can't share because they can too. But I definitely, I believe in the feminine energy. I believe in femininity. I believe in womanhood. And I believe that it is women who teach women to be women. And in the same way, it's men that teach women to be men. Yeah. So it's your job to learn and it's your job to own and be who you are. And don't be afraid to, to be in that feminine energy and that feminine space. Because it's, life is a lot easier when you are. It's really hard when you're pushing into that masculine space. Mm -hmm. And our culture is just breathes oh my god that, you know is yeah. trying to fit us into this masculine model of productivity and yeah you know kind of being on a 24-hour clock and we don't work that way so not at all and also I just wanted to kind of highlight one of the things that you talked about was you know being in this unknown space of like I've gone this far in my labor like how much longer is it going to be I can yeah. so 
relate to that. My own birth was five and a half hours. So I, I mean, the mental and physical stamina that women go through to have these like super long labors, I can't even begin to relate to. It's because, amazing. You know, within that like five and a half hours, I was like, oh my God, I like, can't imagine having to go through that again. Um, and even that was like testing my mental and yeah. physical oh, stamina. It's all up in your so, head. Yes. It is a million percent a head game. It is yeah. a million percent. Yeah, do Kegels. Yeah, exercise. Yeah, pelvic floor. La, la, la. It's great. I'm not saying so, it's not yeah. great. It is 100% in your head. Yeah. And so I think that, that that's just sort of a part of our culture that we both possess. Also, it's just like, let's get this, you know, I want, yeah. I want to know when it's going to happen. <laughs> and even like I went overdue with my daughter as well. It was just like, when is this going to happen? Yeah. And I want to just like know the date and the time and how long it's going to be and exactly what's going to be expected of me. But yeah, in pregnancy and in birth and in mothering, yeah. there's <laughs> no way that you can know exactly what's going to happen. So pregnancy and birth kind of prepare you oh, absolutely. for, you know, that initiation into the journey of like, I'm just trying to figure it out as I go, you know? Yeah. Sort of I've so. heard another doula say that it's the beginning of the surrender. Yeah. So you have to, you have to surrender to not know when your baby's coming. You have to surrender to not knowing how long your labor is going to be. And then they pop out this baby and a piece of your heart comes out and you have to surrender to letting it go out in the big, scary world. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to share about your your business, yeah, now so and how you support women. I I just finished my doula training. I've done birth and postpartum, and I have a business with my sweet friend Mary that was on another one, and it's called Lotus Doula Tribe. And our goal is women um, supporting women in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and I'll link all of that information in the show notes. So the Instagram. Yeah, website. Yeah, whenever it's ready. Yeah. Um. So thank you so much for being here today, oh, and and we'll you. we'll chat off the air about um. We'll chat off the air about our next episode. Love it. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody that you think might benefit from hearing some of the information that was shared here today. If you're interested in finding more about me, you can find me on my website at rosebudwellness.com, on Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness, or on Facebook at the Rosebud Wellness community. Also, if you're feeling called to leave a, a rating or writing a review, that would be amazing. It really helps to get the podcast out to more listeners. Thanks so much for listening and until next time.